Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And we're into extra time. Kia ora and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Clay Wilson. We're of course bringing you this week's podcast in unprecedented times, with the country and much of the world in lockdown because of the global COVID-19 outbreak. Obviously that means there's not much actual sport to talk about, with the last of the competitions in this part of the world put on hold, and a postponement of this year's Olympic Games finally confirmed. Before Extra Time takes a break for a few weeks, we thought we'd look back on the impact this pandemic has had on sport, and also assess how things might look going forward. Joining me to discuss all this is three others from our team here at RNZ Sport, Barry Guy, Joe Porter and Felicity Reid. Barry, I'll come to you first. There's been a fair bit happened in the past seven days since the last podcast. What stood out for you in terms of the ongoing impact of COVID-19 on sport? Well, I suppose, Clay, in a way, it came to some uh, finality in a way that uh, the last thing we were waiting on was the Olympics and that's now been called off and we are really uh, at the end uh, when it comes to... (laughs) (laughs) this half of the uh, sporting world. Um, I I suppose what's stood out for me is that we're now getting into the uh, business of sport and how sport is going to survive, how players are still going to uh, get paid because it is their jobs. It's interesting in a way that uh, when it comes to all of those... um, club-type sports, junior sports, that uh, really it's it appears to have just been accepted that it's, uh, it's what's required. But when it comes to someone's uh, job and uh, feeding the family and those sorts of things, that it, it, it really is an issue now. So, um, yeah, Joe, I suppose it's the same with rugby too, isn't it? That, um, you know, the national sport is, uh, is almost, well, no longer really. Yeah, absolutely. Rugby, I, one of the latest sports I guess you could say to react to this COVID-19 pandemic but of course Super Rugby was always going to be one of the most exposed competitions from the very start played across four different countries um, around the world you've got South Africa, South America, Australia and New Zealand so of course incredibly vulnerable as soon as any of those countries impose travel restrictions and as this pandemic moved its way around the world obviously that's what happened. New Zealand the first to to impose the self-isolation period, Australia quick to follow, the game in Argentina was already being played behind closed doors with the Highlanders and then South Africa picked up a few cases, they're now going into lockdown very very shortly so of course once the New Zealand government announced that Super Rugby was effectively put on hiatus, suspended for the rest of the season, we haven't had any movement from the Sanza yet on that but it's likely the season will be cancelled there's just no way it can start up again, there's not enough room in the calendar too many countries are involved and the logistics are just ridiculous, so that won't happen. However, New Zealand rugby was very, very keen to try their very best to get this domestic super rugby competition going if they had a chance. That's pretty much been scuppered now, you think, by this lockdown and these new restrictions. It's hard to see a New Zealand super rugby competition really coming to fruition, but New Zealand rugby, they did all they could, or at least they have now been seen to have done all they possibly could to try and satisfy their broadcasters' needs. So I think it was probably a smart move from NZR in that respect. They have outwardly looked to have done everything they possibly can 
with reference to the government's restrictions to try and get some content for their broadcasters. So liability now may not quite be so strong for New Zealand rugby. So I think all that posturing about a super rugby competition, they probably knew it was never going to happen. They probably knew the government were going to scupper it. They'd been given a heads up that... Um, their industry would be included in one of the bailout packages. I think they knew all that and still carried on with the situation and carried on with saying they were going to have the Super Rugby competition in New Zealand when most of us knew it, would never, it never was going to come to fruition or thought it was irresponsible because they wanted to alleviate themselves of some financial responsibility. They have now done that. Can't see the domestic Super Rugby competition starting again either. Community and club rugby now closed all around the country. It's just a reflection of this time. New Zealand rugby definitely in for a massive financial hit. They will get some help from the government. Um, how much of a pay cut players have to take is yet to be seen although it is inevitable yeah that's I guess the next thing isn't it that we move forward to Barry touched on this having business impacts now I was talking to David Dome the CEO of the Phoenix and they're having to work around what might happen in worst case scenario so I guess rugby Joe with the the rugby players being probably you'd have to say the domestically based the most well-played sports people we've got how much of a danger do you think they're really in, or is it still pretty much an unknown at this early point? Yeah, it's hard to say. I see the NRL, there's been some reports that they are looking like they might have to take a pay cut of up to, was it 87%, Barry? Something around that figure. Uh, of course, their season was only two rounds deep before it got suspended indefinitely, So, and it's unlikely they will kick up again. NRL talking about a $500 million loss if that competition doesn't get off the ground. Players having to take a bit of a brunt of that, obviously, with an 87% pay cut. Uh, New Zealand rugby, I don't think it's looking quite that drastic yet. You did have some super rugby competition played. The broadcasters have had some of their needs satisfied. You may still have room for the ITM, sorry, the Mitre 10 Cup domestic competition this year, which would help in certain aspects. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's, pretty, it's hard to see them not taking anything less than at least a 35 40% pay cut, I think. If you look at uh, the NRL, Joe, so that 87% is for apparently for the Stars, yeah. So they're looking uh, at a at a average pay pro a, type pro thing. annual thing of a hundred thousand yeah. dollars, which is still pretty good for the majority of the country. Yep, I oh, absolutely. And the thing with sport, of course, is they're reliant on broadcast fees mostly, aren't they? It's not, like, a, it's not like a business where you can no. hopefully start trading yourself out of uh, any sort of debt next year. It's it's you know you you only get paid on what you produce, so it's a, yeah. it's a bit and difficult. And look, if the Super Rugby players lose fifty percent of their income, well, the minimum Super Rugby contract's about one hundred and ten k a year. It's you play worst, you play NPC on top of that or ITM Cup, that's another thirty grand. And then if you're an All Black, you're looking at another two hundred grand potentially. So you know, even at the very basic level, it's still not a bad income compared to the New Zealand average. Also. Uh, it's the staff, really, you probably feel more concerned for at the Super Rugby franchises and clubs. They've got, got a, you know, they're going to have a, a loss this year. People working in the back room, the front room, the trainers, the guys at the lower level and the women looking at working at lower level within the organisations, those are the, are the people that could be laid off or could be affected by redundancies. The NRL have already sacked, clubs have already sacked a bunch of their staff and put them on uh, unpaid leave. So, yeah, it's the staff that you would be worried about more than the players, I would think. And the players, we should just point out, haven't complained. No, you know, absolutely they're, they're, not. They're accepting that, and um, you know, which is fair enough because they realise the rest of the staff mm. still need to earn, a, uh, earn some money and, and feed their family. And the NBA are pretty, you know, I think NZ Rugby, the players will be treated... F- rather fair compared to some leagues. The NBA, they've got a clause in their contract, a pandemic clause no less, that says they lose roughly 90% of their match fee per game they don't play.
Mm. I think we've seen a lot of athletes on that subject um, being quite um, understanding of the mm. circumstances and being willing to, to to sort of share what might be left around. But we touched on the NRL there and how how this is financially impacting the NRL and the NRL and and the A League footballs A League were among the last to really pull pin. They, they tried hard to keep their competitions going. Felicity, what do we think? Do we think they dragged the chain, they should have accepted their fate earlier, or were they right to push on and to the last moment and try and keep these competitions going? Well, both competitions certainly tried everything to keep the competition going, everything from keeping players in Australia to condensing the competition to playing behind closed doors when they could, and then I guess it just became more and more untenable for them. And the Warriors were... The, I guess probably brought the brunt of that and the decisions that the NRL were making. They were essentially trapped in Australia away from their family and every week, well, every day of the week, um, Cameron George, the CEO, would come out and say that the Warriors players were quite happy to be over there, that they were in it for the long haul, that they were committed, that they didn't mind that this was still going on when other sports weren't. I can see Felicity too uh, talking about sports wanting to continue. Uh, Dick Pound, the Canadian long-serving IOC member, was on Morning Report this week and talked about how difficult it's going to be to... Well, well, some issues they'll have to have the Olympics next year. And the reports have come out since, and the Japanese Organising Committee have mentioned this, the delay is probably going to cost the Japanese Organising Committee $10 billion more to have the Olympics next year than it was this year. So, you know, perhaps... uh, you know, waiting as long as they could, and they didn't. They said originally it could be May. Uh, waiting as long as they could, you could perhaps see why they were doing it and they didn't sort of uh, uh, cut things off earlier. Why are there are staff and players' futures and, and livelihoods involved in this situation, um, it's hard not to be cynical and think that the NRL and the A-League were simply doing it for money. And they, they, would, they would argue over and over again that they were doing it with players' safety and players' welfare at the forefront of their minds. That's an absolute lie. It's a crock. It was about money. They wanted the game to survive. They want the clubs to survive. They needed games to be played to get broadcast revenue. Mm. They're lying to your face if they're telling you it's about the player welfare. There's just simply no way it could ever be. I mean, the AFL, the NRL and the A-League all flew in the face of all the advice from the Australian government. The first time when they were... When the restrictions were put in place and decided to forge on ahead with the competition behind closed doors simply to try and make a buck. I mean, Peter Vlandes, the ARL commissioner from Rugby League, made some absurd claim that the players are safer playing games than they are in isolation at home. I mean, how ridiculous is that? It's absurd, you know? So, no, it wasn't about player safety. It's about money and about trying to save money. And it was irresponsible of the NRL, it was irresponsible of the A-League to let the Warriors and the Phoenix come over to the countries. It was a decision based on money and not based on humanitarianism, and it was a poor choice from both those leagues, and it will be reflected, I think, in a bunch of people that were sitting on the edge around those sports going, nah, this is bigger than sport. You needed to have made a decision far earlier, and you just made yourself out to be money-hungry and all about money and not caring about people, and I think that that it reflects really poorly on those leagues. Mm. Well, I guess while the NRL and the A-League, they obviously waited until the 11th hour to finally shut down and Perhaps, as like you say there, Joe, a lot of people thought that wasn't the right thing to do. Um, 
the Olympics, and we talked about that, they were the last really to accept that they couldn't continue as planned, and you might understand that given the size of that event. Um, but the postponement of, of the Olympics until next year has been greeted with almost unanimous approval by the New Zealand Olympic fraternity. Although it brings fresh challenges, former Olympic triathlon champion Hamish Carter believes athletes will generally be able to cope with the postponement of the Games. The gold medalist from the 2004 Athens Olympics, Carter is now in charge of high performance at Triathlon New Zealand. He told Barry Guy he expects athletes to be resilient in these challenging times. I think they're pretty adept to dealing with, with change and uncertainty. You know, most athletes go through periods where they're injured or they have a severe drop in form or they may need to change coach. So you know, they're pretty used to things changing on them. I think what this is really challenging is that this change is completely out of their hands and it's you know, significantly bigger than themselves or sport. And so I think they, like anyone else in society, will want to play a role in trying to shut this thing down. But equally, they want to achieve the goals of their career, which is to qualify for the Olympics and go and race there. So they definitely have access to sports psychologists that can help them through this period. And I think all of them will, will struggle just because everything's on hold and there's really no certainty of when they can start training and when races will be back on. So again, there's going to probably be an extended period of time where it really is just a holding pattern. Overcoming or resetting goals was something you had also, you know, went from uh, Sydney to Athens, didn't you? You've had sort of yep. something, something similar in a way. Yeah, definitely. I think you talk to most athletes, whether they've they want to got a medal at the Olympics or whether they achieve the, the goal of getting to the Olympics. They've all overcome something, yeah, pretty significant most likely, and drawing upon those experiences are really, really useful. I mean, you can we certainly share the things that we did, or I did to go through. But again, it's, it's so personal as well. You've, I mean, it's sort of making you the athlete you may need to become. These circumstances that you find yourselves in are really um, opportunities to grow and develop and they do build resilience and so I think you've just got to take it for what it is and turn it into a positive and I think if there's anywhere you'd want to be for the situation we we all find ourselves in uh, it's probably in New Zealand like we we kind of remind ourselves that we're lucky to be here um, away from you know bigger populations and I think it's you know it's a great country to to be uh, and lockdown, and because compared to the rest of the world, New Zealand is a is a fantastic place to live. In this lockdown, can uh, can you still just go out for a run or a bike ride? Yeah, we've we've received advice, I and mean, we have a medical director that sort of guides us around the right things and wrong things to do. Also, taking the advice from the from the government, we've got their website. I think the key is that you know athletes can still train. They certainly can train with the people they live with. They are not meant to meet people to train with, so they can go out and run and cycle on their own or with the people they live with. Uh, there's no swimming because all the pools are shut. But again, there aren't going to be races directly at the end of this lockdown, so there's no real need to be in top shape in, in April or May. Uh, but I think for athletes, if they can't train, they'll probably go a little bit stir-crazy as well, so... Getting out for a run and ticking over is probably going to be good for their physical and mental well-being. They just got to 
stick to the rules and just try and do the right thing. John Kerwin says that, doesn't he? I mean, for mental health, exercise is good. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think getting out or having a routine uh, and trying to have a bit of a plan each day, I think it's going to be really important just to give people a little bit of purpose. And so those simple things, I think, can really, really make a difference. And so I think, I think it's just everyone coming up with a way. And look, just being able to ask for help, reaching out and talking to people. We'll be trying to call our coaches and athletes every couple of days, just checking how they're going. But it's, look, it's unprecedented. We've never been in this situation before. So we just want to stay close to people and, and just take care to be listening in case anyone's struggling and see what we can do about it. Um, there is help there if we need it. So we'll just be able to tap into that when we need to. So, Joe, I guess it's a bit of a good news, bad news scenario here. Of course, it's good in terms of the health risks associated with holding an event like this, and it gives athletes more certainty moving forward. But also, these these athletes are working furiously towards peaking towards a, an event in July and August. Um, so that's all changed now. That creates a lot of challenges, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, it's going to be really tough. While this decision to postpone the Games has largely been met with relief and support from athletes around the world, there are some that are bitterly disappointed because they thought this year was their best chance of winning an Olympic medal. This year was their peak year in terms of performance. They'd been building for four or three years before this, and they really did think that July was their best chance. Pushing it back a year, they think it won't be. And that messes with your motivation, it messes with your head, and it messes with your training schedule, and it also could affect, I guess, your desire to be there or your own self-confidence. So a lot, yeah, a lot of um, adversity for the athletes to overcome. For some, obviously, on the flip side, the likes of Eliza McCartney, it's it's a real bonus. She was struggling, really, to get her body ready in time for the Tokyo Olympics in 2020, and now she's got an extra year to step back a little bit from the training, trying to rush things, get her body right, and she can come back next year uh, probably a, a, a much more well-rounded and a more well-conditioned athlete, not only in body but in mind too. So I think for some of them it gives them a massive chance. You've got to look at the guys like Nick Willis, Mahe Drysdale, 36 and 41 respectively. Does Mahe have another year in him to try and peak for the another Olympics? I don't know. It's hard to see. Um, guys like David Nika, who missed out on the Rio Olympics, boxing, like heavy, uh, heavyweight. He was uh, uh, you know, a good chance of making Rio, missed out, deeply disappointed. Qualified for Tokyo after all the um, disruptions the boxing team had in having their cancelled tournament in China and then having to go to Jordan via Italy along the way uh, to eventually qualify for this, now to have it pushed back a year. He wanted to turn professional in 2021. Mm, So now those plans go back a whole year if he still wants to go to the Olympics, which I'm sure is a dream of his. So, yeah, there are some big ramifications for these athletes. But on the whole, you, you have to put people first. This is a worldwide pandemic. And the decision was the right one. It's a shame it took them so long to make it, but at least now athletes have clarity and they can move forward. I think the top sports will survive. They'll all be back next year. You know, they may have to take uh, reductions, not be so greedy when it comes to paying people and that sort of thing. But I think all the leagues will come back and they will continue because they'll be supported. But Felicity might be able to help us here because she's uh, a lot younger than me. My concern is that, of course, all these people are now going to like eSports and things on the computer and that. What's going to happen to the grassroots you know you need momentum you need numbers of kids playing sport and coming through if New Zealand kids miss a whole year of playing netball hockey footy rugby or something what what's that going to mean for next year Felicity I mean you know what's it I mean are they all going to come back are the numbers just going to drop even more 
I think maybe if you're talking about at the grassroots level, if you're passionate about a sport, you probably are dying to get outside to play it some more. You want to get back with your teammates or you have your own goals as a kid always, you know, you want to maybe you want to be a white fern or maybe you want to be an all black and you're going to work towards those things regardless. We may have lost some of the people on the fringes. Maybe you're right, the eSport and staying on the computer is slightly more appealing or you've seen eSports with a lot of the athletes taking that up as well. So maybe it's more motivational to watch your favourite motorsport driver drive on the computer than it is to watch them out on the track. I think there are two answers to your question, Barry, and they both come from parents. One answer will be, oh, this has been great. Saturdays with no sport. <laughs> this has been in. very relaxing. A sleep in. Yeah, I could do a bit more of this. Nah, nah. Football the next year. Let's not worry about it. Those crazy or, parents or, that love watching their kids. Yeah, let me finish. This is the flip side. This would be my approach as a parent. Or it's going to be Saturday morning. Oh, bloody hell. These kids are driving me mental. We've got to find something to do and get them out of the house. Please, Lord, let sport return. So as soon as the sport comes back, you'd be throwing them in there. I think and, that and, might be the yeah. case. I think you might find there's a few parents that are throwing kids into sports they've never played before just to get a bit of extra yeah. time to themselves. And like Clay and Felicity, the weather south of the Bombay Hills does get a bit uh, cold and wet during the winter and parents aren't that excited to get up. And then you go. <laughs> Finally this week, let's hear from one of those athletes affected by the postponement of the Olympic Games, Black Sticks hockey player Shay McAleese. The 35-year-old defender is the oldest member of the current New Zealand men's squad, but says the delay hasn't affected his desire to be there in Tokyo next year. McAleese says the postponement gives athletes much-needed certainty and relief a cancellation is off the table. I think that was a fear that I think most people have had in the back of their minds. Um, so at least we've got certainty now that it's uh, still going to go ahead, obviously, as long as we the world can get um, this COVID-19 under control. Um, but it's also good that the Olympics, um, the IOC, aren't pushing for a start date in July because it just was not really tenable that that was going to be um, reality, really. I imagine within your, your social groups, WhatsApp, that sort of thing, the squad's been um, talking about it. What's the general feeling? Is it similar to what you've just described? Yeah, yeah. So we've got a, um, we've got a players group um, that we all sort of keep in touch with each other and we've kind of been uh, watching stuff um, and radio talk and um, all the news articles and everything basically coming through and any time something pops up about the Olympics it's basically slapped into the page and uh, I think there was that sort of um, especially that week of uncertainty where everyone was sort of a little bit on edge a little bit and especially when we were actually still training last week as well um, but to then um, have that clarity then basically everyone sort of posted in the group um, this morning saying 2021 here we go so I think we'll, um, it puts us into alignment and basically just gets it all nice and settled so we've got something to now really look forward to instead of it being cancelled. I take it from that I was going to ask you, I mean, you're obviously one of more, the more senior members of the team and for some of the older athletes, you know, this might have an effect in terms of their ability, their desire, but you you'll still definitely want to be there on board for next year? Yeah, well, I think the the big thing is like Olympics is um, every four years, um, and I've been training since Rio's disappointment really to um, to try and win a medal again, and uh, to try and win a medal in uh, in Tokyo, um, and to spread things out one further year is um, I think within reach. Um, obviously, as an older athlete, there's always those challenges of your your body, and um, then we've only had a little girl uh, about five weeks ago, um, so I've got that to contend with, um, plus um, work as well. So there's a lot of things that we'll have to tick boxes to to make sure it's all go. Um, but having a talk to my wife this morning, we're sort of thinking that's where I'd like to like to go. But uh, there's a few things that a few of us will have to, to get into alignment to, to make sure we're all, all go for 2021 now. 
I mean, have you been able to think about or contemplate what it means in the short term, you know, now that you're definitely not going? What sort of happens with you for hockey moving forward? Yeah, so um, I think the main thing for us is, uh, well, we kind of had sort of already planned um, that potentially this was going to happen anyway. So um, between the Hockey Players Association, Hockey New Zealand, um, our trainer, our coach, they kind of basically put us into a physical block um, at the moment. So we've got a four-week block, which could get extended depending on how long this goes for, that we'll basically go sticks down. Um, maybe some guys will do some stuff at home, but sticks down, um, obey all the laws from the government. Um, and then, But we are allowed to go out for a run. Um, we are allowed to obviously do gym workouts at home, whether that body weights or if you've got your own little gym. Um, so it's basically just get as fit um, as fit as we can um, and make sure we use this time to also advance ourselves um, and our personal fitness so then when we come back to hockey we're even fitter than what we were beforehand. You might not have uh, any certainty around this yet but I know you guys are obviously funded through High Performance Sport. Have you been given any sort of instruction on that and how that might be affected given you know that was all targeted towards July this year? Uh, no, to be honest, um, but I can't really see it. Um, changing, I would think, you know, where the, even though the Olympics has changed, um, maybe the money has to get stretched out a little bit further, obviously, because it's another year away. Um, but I wouldn't see the program um, really changing or suffering too much, um, obviously, unless uh, the whole New Zealand um, environment changes dramatically, um, which obviously it is at the moment, but we'll just have to wait and see what happens there. Um, but hopefully, we can still, um, uh, yeah, get enough international exposure if we can. Um, but then again, who knows what international uh, sport in general and uh, international travel will look like in the next little while. So mm. we've just got to wait and see and then hopefully put in some good parameters around us locally and then get that sorted and then see what um, our program can look like in probably, I don't know, probably two, three, four months' time, if that. That was Black Sticks hockey player Shane McAleese there telling me about the impact of the postponement of the Tokyo Olympic Games. And that's it for Extra Time this week. As I touched on earlier, the podcast will be taking a break for a few weeks as the sporting world pauses and waits out the COVID-19 pandemic. Until then, we hope you're healthy, happy and staying safe. Thanks for listening and goodbye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.